Welcome to the Lucky Leg Court Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. I'm your host, Chris Otto, coming to you on Wednesday, October 17th. We're going to be chatting with Tennis Now editor Richard Pagliaro, and we've got lots to discuss, starting with the WTA year-end awards, balloting for international tennis writers closed on Tuesday. So again, this is a regular season award. In other words, we won't be counting the performances of the players next week in Singapore or in Zhuhai for that matter. And the categories are player of the year, which is a really tough one to debate. We've got all four Grand Slam champions, plus Petra Kvitova, who won five titles this season. Also going to debate doubles team of the year, newcomer of the year, comeback player of the year, and most improved player. Richard and I are also going to discuss the remarkable performance of Novak Djokovic, who swept the Shanghai title, not dropping serve, actually became the fourth player in Masters 1000 history to win a title without dropping serve. Djokovic wins his 32nd Masters 1000 title, and he moves to within 35 points of Rafael Nadal in the race to London standings. So we are going to have a hot and heavy race for number one down the stretch as those two head to the Paris Masters in about a week and a half and then the ATP Finals in London. Other topics we discuss on today's show, the performance of Roger Federer in Shanghai and what we're going to see from the Swiss maestro going forward. And we also take a look at the coaches and give our picks for coaches of the year on both tours. Bit of housekeeping before we get to the interview. We'd love it if you stop by our iTunes page and keep those five-star ratings and positive reviews coming. Just Google Lucky Let Cord Podcast on iTunes. And you can also find our podcast page at Potomatic at tennisnow.potomatic.com. Okay, the Lucky Let Court podcast. We're joining forces with Richard Pagliaro, who's on the East Coast. He covers tennis for Tennis Now, of course, you know. Hey, Richard, you know, how you doing, But first of all? I'm doing great, and I'm really glad to talk to you. It's been a long year, an exciting year, and an eventful year, too, so we got a lot to talk about. Yeah, we haven't chatted since the U.S. Open, and uh, um, good news today is that we're not talking totally about controversy, but we do have a little bit of a, I don't know, chink in the armor of the WTA season, possible player of the year. Simona Halep is now out of Moscow with a back injury. We know about that herniated disc she suffered and her WTA finals appearance could be in jeopardy. It's not looking good for Simona. What is your initial take from the news you heard today about Halep pulling out of Moscow? Well, it's a bummer because, she, you know, she went there with, with the intent, my understanding, with the intention of playing. And obviously you want to get some matches in for Singapore, but you know, the, herniated this that's not something to take lightly so I, I mean i don't i don't blame her at all for pulling out and to me it makes no sense to play the year end if you're going in there with basically no match play as preparation and also the fact that emotionally you know even prior to this injury she's been kind of deflated ever since that cincinnati final loss if you look at her results they're not what they were earlier in the year so i wondered if maybe she was either playing more banged up than we know or just maybe the you know the air went out of the balloon a little bit emotionally because remember Rogers Cup I mean that was a really really tough title for her to win and she pulled that out and also battled the schedule makers there so I think she's kind of gone through a lot of turbulence in 
in recent weeks, and maybe sometimes this is just your body reacting to the stress of it all. Yeah, right. I mean, we don't know the severity of that injury, but my right. my initial reaction to it is, wow, it's like, first of all, Simona, your year was good enough. You won your first major let that back situation heal because, you know, she's such a big part of the WTA storyline. I mean, I was looking back at the some of the greatest matches of the season and her name was in almost more than half of them. I mean, she's she's had an incredible year and I just hope that, geez, I just hope that she's healthy for next season. I'm not even worried about the WTA finals at this point. I mean, that sounds like it could potentially be a problem for her moving forward. What, I, what Are you worried at all about that yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I'm worried because... You know, her physicality, her movement, her endurance, her quickness off the mark, those are all essential elements to her game. And I remember last month at the U.S. Open, someone asked Rafa Nadal and his presser, like, what's your most important body part? And he didn't say knees, feet, eyes. He said my core, my abs, and my back, because he said that gives you the stability to do everything you need to do on the court, whether it's turning, changing directions, you know, you know, the agility moving up, moving back. And he said, if you don't have the stability in the core, you, you know, you don't really have anything. And that's, that's, I mean, like you said, at the, at the, at the outset, we don't know the severity. I mean, you know, you hope for the best, but that's, that's a, that's a, one of those injuries that it doesn't seem to heal quickly and it also can return. So if I were her, you know, I would, I would definitely think about shutting it down. And also, you know, you're looking at January right out of the box. She's defending the finals points from, Australia. So there's a lot on the line for at the beginning of the year for her. Yeah, very good point. Yeah. I of course Halep's still very young, just turned twenty seven, lots of tennis left to play. Yeah, I think it'll be wise for her to really take care of this injury if it is as serious as we think. It's a nice segue though, talking about Simona moving on to the WTA awards, which voting has closed for just in the last couple of days. There's a, several categories that uh, international tennis writers were able to vote on. One of those WTA player of the year, Simona, of course, a top candidate, Angelique Kerber, Petra Kvitova, Naomi Osaka, and Caroline Wozniacki also in the on the ballot. Um, what's your take on WTA player of the year? Is this Simona's award clear and simple or does a lot of it come down to what we're maybe going to see in Singapore and unfortunately we can't vote after Singapore but any takes on that yeah well you hit the nail on the head right there because I think with the voting ended you know based on today right now I think you've got to go with Simona getting to two major finals and you know winning her first in Paris and beating a Grand Slam champion there and also the final in Australia was an incredible final. I mean, it all, also to get to the Australian Open final, how well she played. And as you said just a few minutes ago, you think of the greatest, most exciting matches this year. She's involved in many of them, if not most of them. Uh, to me, the thing is, though, if Osaka were to go there, or Singapore, if she were to go there and do what she did in New York, or, I mean, look at her results after New York. She's been in a semi, she's been in a final. If she were to go there and get to the final or win the title, I mean, to me, she has a really good case for player of the year. But like you said, the, the voting's ended, and I think Simona, also the fact that Simona went basically wire to wire as world number one, that's really, really hard to do. I know there were four weeks where Carolyn surpassed her after Australia, but to go almost wire to wire, that's really, that's an outstanding achievement. That's yes. really, you look at the great players in history, there are players that have not done that, what she's done two years in a row, and that, that cannot be under undervalued in my view. Yeah, fantastic point. Only 13 players have ever ended a season as the WTA's number one, and Simone has done it back to back. And you're right, that has got to be the tipping point right there. Of course, great seasons by all the women that we mentioned, including Petra Kvitova, who didn't, 
perform that well at the majors, and of course that's why she probably comes up last in these in this voting. But five titles, forty-seven wins. Kerber, forty-five wins, or another major title. And yes, you mentioned Osaka, and also I think Wozniacki would be in the mix if she's able to defend in Singapore, and she's looked good of late. But yeah, I think you're right with Halep. Unfortunately, she won't be able to finish the season strong, but yeah, she's our player of the year. We agree on that. How about doubles team of the year? Some good candidates, Krichikova and Sinyakova, Vandewey Barty, Elise Mertens and Demi Shures, and Mladenovic and Timea Babos were all on the ballot. Boy, that's a tough one because the Czech team, when I've seen it, when they're on, they've played really, really well. Although, you know, the one that's fresh in my mind is Coco and Barty at the U.S. Open, yep. how well they played. You know, they really played well together. I mean, if I'm Coco, I'd try to play with Barty as much as I can in the future because I think she really settles her emotionally and mentally as well, and they're just really dynamic together. That's a really tough call. The Czechs were great uh but like I said, that the Vandaway Barty team—they're fresh in my mind because I just, I just saw them. Right. I had to go back and remember that Mladenovic and Babos won the Aussie Open. But yeah, the right. uh, the natural surface slams Roland Garros and Wimbledon went to the Czech duo, and they were the uh, also the emotional team with. Um, uh, Novotna having formerly coached Krejcikova right. made that season all the more special. So. Uh, yeah, that's going to be my vote as well. Most improved player of the year, maybe is a little tricky. A lot of good candidates there. Kiki Burtons, Yulia Gerges, Kazatkin is in there. Elise Mertens, who had a fantastic season. Uh, Wang Yang of China, who's, who's really surged of late. And Alexander Saznovich. Uh, who do you see as the most improved player in that one? To me, that's a loaded category. You could go so many ways. And, um, you know, if you'd asked me in the spring, I would have said Kazakina coming off the Indian Wells final. She was looking so good. But I think Burton's, you know, she's been there before. It's not like she's come out of nowhere. But to do what she's done and beaten the quality of opponents she's beaten, I mean, that's impressive. I know Gorgas, even going back to last year, she's had a really, really strong run. But right. Gosh, Bert, Burton's is really, I mean, and she's a player that the players all respect, too. I mean, she's one of those players. She doesn't maybe get as much press as other players, but the players all, all really know she's the real deal. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with you again, because the one stat that really sticks out at me is 10 top 10 wins for Kiki Burton. Right, exactly. That's a great stat. Great stat. And Right, she doesn't shrink from the big moments. And look at Cincinnati, look at some of the matches she's played, even in the summer. She doesn't back down from those moments. She's had a... And the whole dynamic with the coach has been great. It's just been really exciting to see someone who's really paid their dues year after year to come through and have a, a season like this. It's really well-deserved. Yeah, and to be able to do play her best tennis off of the clay, we kind of thought of her as a clay court specialist and right. this season. Uh, good on the grass, good on the hard court. That always helps in terms of ranking. Uh, I, I do like Kazakina. I'd probably put her second in there because of the, um, the quarterfinals at Roland Garros, the quarterfinal at Wimbledon. Those were nice results, but a little bit of a fade from her in the second half of the season. Absolutely. I, I mean, I walked out of Indian Wells thinking, wow, we're going to see Osaka and Kazakina square off so much more because they're two completely different styles, but they both were so impressive. And then, yeah, she did have a little bit of an issue with the serves and double faults creeping in. I think that cost her a little confidence and maybe she can get a little bit physically stronger because she's not as tall as some of the other top 20 players. But her, her you know, her racket skills and court sense and vision, she's going to have a 
great, great career, I think. Yeah, little segue here, or a little interruption for you, Richard, because I always like your analysis of players and you're always watching closely. I have trouble figuring out what the top side, what the ceiling is for Kazakina. Gosh, I'd love it if she was a perennial top 10 or maybe even push for number one, get into some of these bigger matches at the slams, semis and finals. Do you think she has enough to get there? She's so young. She's so talented. Do you see her getting there? Do you think she's just doesn't have enough of the meat and potatoes that you need? Or do you think there's there's enough potential for her if she continues to evolve to be one of these top players? I think she's definitely capable. To me, she's definitely got potential to be a top 10 player because of what you just referenced, the ability to do it on multiple surfaces yep. and her feel, which is something that maybe is a little bit underrated because we get so caught up in the speed gun, how big the ladies are hitting nowadays. But look at someone like, you know, Rod Wanska, someone like that. Her feel, I mean, her feel is exceptional. It's an antidote to a lot of the great natural power players but to me it comes down to her serve she's really got to beef up her that's where she's really vulnerable to me the second serve is really really attackable and that's where she gets herself in trouble because she's defending in her own service games and then that she's got to break more and more but her everything else i mean the elements the the vision for the game the ability to construct points the ability to use the front court which you don't see a lot she can come in and volley she can drag you in and make you try to defend at the net where a lot of people aren't comfortable she can play on all surfaces i i I really think she can be a top 10 player but to me she's got to improve the serve and also the physicality she can get stronger and a little bit fitter because she's giving up a lot of size and a lot of reach to a lot of the bigger opponents yep I hope she does. She's gosh, she's fun. I mean, that that Wimbledon uh, quarterfinal with Kerber. You just take that oh, la- last God. few games of that match. It was some of the best tenants of the season. Oh, and to me, whenever you have a player with her feel and flair, like if you look at someone like Hingis or Fognini or even Schiavone, the year she won. Like when you have someone like that, it's just always more interesting because she's just she's special. She's unique. She doesn't play the conventional game, and that's. It's fascinating to watch her and watch people try to have to deal with her. You're listening to the Lucky Let Cord Podcast, a Tennis Now production sponsored by Tennis Express. A couple other awards. Newcomer of the Year, the WTA list is as the player who made top 100 debut or notable accomplishments during the 2018 season. They've got Amanda Anisimova, sorry, the American, who had a fantastic season. They have uh, Mihaela Bujardescu. Danielle Collins, Sophia Kennan, and Arena Sabalenka. Your take. Yeah, I got to go with Sabalenka there, although the, some of the um, breakout performances like Daniel Collins in Miami or Buzanescu's had some big wins, and um, I've got to go with Sabalenka, just the jump that she's made and the impression that she made. And people forget the U.S. Open, she gave she gave Naomi the toughest match of the tournament there. Yeah, de facto final in the, uh, was it round of 16? Right, right. Exactly. Well said, yeah. Um, yeah, and she finished last year at 79. This year she's at 15. 45 wins. Just, wow, she is really emerging. I, that's a player that I'm so... There's a, There are many players I'm excited to watch next year, and she is top of the list. I think she could be... A, obviously, we all think she can win a major next year, and, and who knows how high her ranking can go. So, yeah. Also, 21-8 and eight in three setters. We'd love to see her and Kvitova get themselves into a, little, a couple three-setters next year, huh? That would be great. And also, I think the fact that she seemed to grow stronger as the season progressed, whereas a lot of 20-year-olds, just a grind of a long season, they're just on fumes at the end. For her, it seemed like she got more confident, more belief, 
and just she got stronger. And I mean, she was really fired up through the Asian swing. You could see how bad yeah. she wanted those matches. And you go back to a year ago, the Fed Cup fight. She showed what what she could do, and she's she seems to really have the desire and also that serve forehand combination that she has. It's it's uh, you know when you reference Petra, it reminds me a little bit of that. Although she's a righty, it's just that they can they can take charge of the serve games with those two shots. So yes. it's impressive. Yeah, it really is. Women's tennis is is in great shape. Looking forward. Oh my God, it really it's so it's so fun. It's so exciting to see, and also the because you still have veteran players like you know Venus or Sharapova who still have a lot to prove and want to get back in the mix, or even someone like Muguruza who maybe had a little bit of a down year is going to be highly motivated or you see what Benchich has done sort of trying to come back strong so there's a lot of even players that we haven't touched on like Svitolina someone who's been close but not able to break through and there's a lot of players with a lot of desire so I think next year's going to be fantastic yeah and um, just the tip of the cap to uh, Romania's Buzonescu who I think she had three WTA wins heading into this season in her whole career this is a 30 year old woman who won 36 matches this season still playing I think her season may have ended this week, actually, in Moscow. But she won 36 matches, reached three finals, won the San Jose title, and then was kind of taken out by that ankle injury. She might have even reached the 40 win mark. So tip of the cap to her. Fantastic season. Came from virtually out of nowhere. I don't know if there's anybody who expected that. Absolutely. And I say of all the women this year that I have saw, you know, that I got to see up close, her and uh, Sevastova were two that impressed me just in the way they made tactical adjustments or just, you know, changed their return positioning or just seemed like mentally they're really invested in what they need to do to sort of change the flow of a match. And they're willing to try different things, those two players. I was really intrigued by them. And finally, the last category is Comeback Player of the Year. WTA says the player whose ranking previously dropped due to injury or personal reasons and current season's results help restore ranking. Belinda Bencic on that list, along with Bethany Maddox-Sands, Isla Tamjanovic, and Serena Williams. Yeah, I mean, I don't see how you can't go with Serena getting to two major finals and coming off, you know, what we learned later was a really, really, really dangerous um you know, birth, and then after the pregnancy, what she went through, I mean, that sounds like it was really sort of touch and go, very dangerous. But for her to come back as she did, and even look at where she started at Indian Wells, a loss to Venus, where she admitted, you know, she just was out of sorts, not in shape, and look at the tennis she was playing later. I mean, it's, I mean, everyone on that list is deserving, especially Bethany, because when you saw that, Initially, when I, I mean, I got to be honest, I thought she was done. When I mean, it, it was gruesome. I mean, it was like, God, there's no way she could come back from that. And, and you know, she deserves a really a hell of a lot of credit for what she's done. She does. Especially to come back and win a major. I mean, to come back like that. I mean, Bethany, that's, that's a huge comeback. They all were. But I just think Serena to get the two major finals is, is amazing. Yeah. Definitely. It was, you know, uh, bittersweet for Serena, who certainly didn't get that 24th major title, what she hoped for. And then, of course, the U.S. Open didn't end the way she wanted it to end on many levels. But looking forward, Serena made some strides this year. I think she got better, you know, from Wimbledon to the U.S. Open. Do you think she's in the mix next year? Do you think she can get back in the top 10, can be can, can continue to be a force at the majors and possibly win one? Oh, for sure. I, I mean, I would be really surprised. If she's healthy and fit, I would be surprised if she didn't win one. I think that's really the main reason she's playing right now. She wants to get the 25 majors. So to me, it's not even just about tying court. She wants to go out with at least 25. So yeah. I think that's 
that's what it's all about to her, and I don't think the ranking really matters, although the ranking should matter now that she sees people like Osaka, and you don't want to be playing those kind of players earlier on in the draw. Look at the U.S. Open, even if that seeding of her seeding had been a... She was still able to get through from a bumped-up seeding, but I think she knows it's it's to her advantage to be seated higher. But that said, she's going to be really, really strict about scheduling and about really trying to peak for the majors. Yeah, I, I definitely think she can win one major yeah. next year. I, really, I, I mean, she was so close this year, and she wasn't the Serena that we know. You know, it's still... You can see her mobility still isn't there. The serve, especially the second serve, still wasn't biting as much as we've seen in the past. But, you know, she is getting older, and, the, and these younger players are really getting stronger. So... It's not a given by any means. No, not at all. Yeah, no, I think th- I think she really does want to write that last chapter in style. I think I think um, she did. If she can do what she did this season, which is give herself chances to win majors by being in consecutive finals, and maybe the draw breaks away, maybe she doesn't face a red hot Kerber or a, like uh, you know coming of age Osaka. I think winning slams will not be as difficult as it seems, you know, for her. And I think you're right. I think she gets one, maybe two. And of course, and if she's motivated by what happened this year, and if she goes back to the practice courts and finds her fitness and is able to do better in the baseline game, which is where she kind of struggled against the better players in both of those slam finals yeah why not that, that could be a that could make the season really interesting in 2019 oh for sure everything you just said i agree with and also the two other things i would say is number one if you look at her career historically whenever there's been a bad or controversial moment like she's not the kind of champion that's going to let hey i don't want people the last thing in their heads remembering you know this freak show that was the u.s open final like i'm going to shift the narrative i'm going to come back and win a major and you know remind people of who I am and what what my legacy is. I think that's really, really important to her, and I think that's additional motivation. And also, if we go back to the Open, the matches right before the Osaka match, and Osaka just outclassed her. There's nothing yep. wrong with losing to someone who played better, but she really did show you the net game that she's been working on with Patrick, and I think that's going to be vital for her, especially if Australian Open plays as quickly as it has played the last two years when Roger used the speed to his advantage where I'm not saying you're going to see Serena Williams serving volley or anything, but I think you're going to see her coming in, taking balls out of the air with a swing volley. She really volleyed well at the U.S. Open, I thought, yeah. one of her better volleying tournaments. So I think that's really going to be a focus. Like, look, let's just play six to eight shot rallies. Let's keep it clean, keep it quick, and have the energy and the uh, strength for the later rounds where you're really going to have to come to battle. Yep, I love it. I love it. Okay, let's – let's. Uh, we gave our – Maybe twenty plus minutes to the women there, and, and that's basically that's basically what we wanted to talk about today because there is a lot of news. But also, the Asian right. swing is pretty much over. It, it is over on the men's side, and Novak Djokovic has won Shanghai once again, and he's making a serious push to finish the season at number one, which would be his fifth now. Uh, number one finish, year-end number one finish for Djokovic. He's completely changed the script of the ATP season, basically from May onward. Now it's looking like he's not only in the mix to be number one, but he might be in the mix to be the all-time GOAT. So let's reflect a little bit on the Asian swing. What do we learn from it? And you know, let's maybe move on and talk a little bit about Novak and what this means for him going forward. Yeah, well, we learned not only is Novak back, he's probably even better than when he when we last saw him as Novak, you know, when he was holding all four majors. I mean, right. the reason I say that is because he he went through the entire Shanghai tournament not dropping serve, Amazing. and he beat some quality player. I mean, that to me, that was one of his best serving performances 
ever, and it looked pretty easy. It, looked, it didn't look like he was really trying to reach back and force serves. I mean, his percentage was great. He was moving the serve around, and, I mean, he was dominating. He was, I, to me, he looked better than he, than he had uh, almost at any point. I yeah. mean, it was a great tournament, especially to go up against the two young guns back-to-back, someone like Zverev. And Koric, you know, Koric coming off the big win over Federer and just pound. I mean, he just pummeled them. It was almost like in his mind, I'm not going to let these guys stay on the court for an hour. I mean, he just punished both of them. Those were statement wins to me. He was telling the next generation, yeah, you're coming, but I'm still here, you know, and I'm not going anywhere. Don't forget to check out Tennis Now on social media, at Tennis underscore now on Twitter and Instagram.com slash Tennis underscore now. Yeah, that's so impressive what he's been able to do. And you're right, a lot of lot of talk about his ability to shorten points at this point in his career. Uh, Craig O'Shaughnessy of, of ATP Brain Game Tennis wrote an article that came out, I think, yesterday or two days ago about how he's his advantage right now is switched and he's really winning the uh, one to five stroke rallies. And yes, 47 consecutive holds in Shanghai, just the I think the fourth time a player has gone wire to wire without having their serve broken in a, in a Masters 1000. I mean, He's just, he's evolving. I think he's in the right place spiritually and with his team now. He's fit. He's hungry. It's for me, it's like the first thing I think of is that he's going to hold all four majors at the same time again. But then I think, wait a second, Roland Garros. For me right now, I, I'm looking forward to the ATP finals and, and whatever comes, you know, and of course Australia, but I, I just can't help but think that there's going to be this showdown at Roland Garros where Nadal's going to be trying to win it again and Djokovic is going to be going to hold all four majors and that would be crazy for 2019. But am I getting ahead of myself here? Well, I mean, based on the way he's playing, I mean, I can't say that you're really getting ahead of yourself because he's just rolling through people. I mean, he he's just he's just taking people apart. It's almost like like Court said after that match, he's just at another level. He's a different level. And look, we all know that the fall indoor season is Rafa's least favorite time of the year, where he just basically doesn't like playing. His game isn't conducive to that surface. You have to think all things that we've seen so far to this point that if Djokovic is healthy, he's going to definitely end the year number one. I mean, he's right there on the doorstep. He has no points to defend. And then Australia's historically been his best grand slam. So, <laughs> I mean, it's not that much of a leap for me to to see him going right, rolling through Australia like we've seen him roll through the U.S. Open. And then you're right, it comes down to Paris. And, you know, what's he got and how much... You know, how much is that going to drive him? I think that one of the big changes that we've seen in him is he's not overthinking and overanalyzing stuff. You just see the tennis flowing from him. It's like the instinct is coming back out in him, and he's not. I felt like he was just overanalyzing everything, the serve, the service motion, where he's standing, and now it just, like, comes naturally. You just see it flow from him, and it it's really beautiful to see him, you know, back at that level. Yeah, 35 points separate Nadal and Djokovic in the race to London, which is basically the the race for year-end number one. So, yeah, I think they're both going to be in Paris. They're both going to be in London if all goes well. Like you said, it's hard to predict with Nadal. Sometimes injuries get the best of them this time of season. But, yeah, Djokovic just so— Although, you know, although to to be fair to Nadal, then again, you know, last year in London, he played the one, you know, the the go-foul match. That was it. So he can, you know, if he had a strong run, he— there's still points for him to to make there, yeah. you know, for sure. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think we're kind of maybe not talking about him as much right now because if he's healthy, 
I don't know how much of a difference there is between Novak and Rafa. I mean, we saw them go 10-8 in the fifth at Wimbledon, both at their right, best. And right, that's, that's prob- a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. You can't, yeah, you can never underestimate. Yeah, you're right. Because he's not visible right now. You just kind of automatically assume Novak's the guy. But when Rafa comes back, and hopefully he'll come back healthy, you know, he always comes back hungry. Yeah, I guess if there's one player at this point who has a chance of derailing this momentum from Novak it would it would it would be Rafa right I mean um, interesting yeah interesting stuff to look forward to for sure but but you know it's hard not to talk about Djokovic and and I think with 14 majors and with all he's done and just still being 31 years old the youngest out of all these these players that are gunning for the GOAT title in the end I think you know it's you, you have you'd be remiss if you didn't when someone asks you who's going to be the goat when it's all said and done, if you weren't giving you, if you weren't putting out three names right now, Djokovic, Nadal, and Federer, I think you're you're being remiss, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And he's look during this stretch, he hasn't shied away from saying, you know, he wants to win more majors, he wants to be number one. And I think that's good and healthy that he's upfront about it. Like, I'm here to win. You know, I'm not here to just compete. I'm not here to just you know, keep a streak going, I'm here to win. I'm here to win majors, and he's real clear about that. And this should be the prime of his career right now. The guy's only 31 years old, and he's, you know, coming off a period where he took months off, so mentally he's a little bit more recharged. And, look, even going back to Queens Club, he probably should have won that title. I mean, if you could say it would even be more impressive had he won. It was a point, you know, away from winning there where he it would be almost unbeatable except for the loss in uh, – in in Canada, Sitsipas. I mean, you know, in in retrospect, that's a massive win for the Greek. What what a player yeah. that kid is. Uh, yeah, 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 for sure. That guy's going to be a superstar. I think Sitsipas. Just what we've seen out of him this year. Also, the Zverev matches. You, you and I talked about that one yesterday, and and the joke of it. I mean, he just seems like he has it too. He has it, and he's so good athletically. And you you love to see a guy willing to give the body up and just dive all over the court. I love that. Yeah, he's he's a fantastic young player. So uh, last topic I want to hit on, I know you've written a little bit for Tennis Now about the coaches of the year. Um, do you want to take a second look at that? I mean, we're talking about Djokovic. Obviously, Marion Vida has a big role to play there. Um, there were a lot of coaches that did a lot of great work this season, and they, they don't always get an, enough credit. So here's your chance to, to give me your take on uh, which, which coaches were the most effective in 2018. Yeah. I think Marion Vita for sure because I mean Novak. I mean people forget now. We're like you said, we're talking all about Novak now. But I was there at Indian Wells and also look at Miami back to back devastating losses where people were like, geez, what's with Djokovic? You know, he's never gonna. I mean, people are just really writing him off. And for Marion Vita to come back into what was really an emotional, you know, firestorm and really settle things down and get him back to basics and reminding him of who his identity as a champion and how great he was and how great he can still be. I mean, that, that's a tremendous job. And also you see that Novak, it just seems much more relaxed, you know, with the exception of that French Open presser after that loss. But maybe that was, in retrospect, a good thing for him. But he just seems so much more relaxed and comfortable in his own skin. And you got to give Marion Vite a lot of credit for that. I also think Darren Cahill... You know, with Simona, everything she's been through, the ups and downs, injuries, and the quest to win a major, and, you know, coming so close and not getting it to just stick with her and the two of them to believe in each other, he, he's been an amazing coach. He and has. Uh, uh, He really has. And, um, you know, I think Sabalenka, I think, and Tursunov, that's a great, that's been a great pairing, too, because he really believes in her. And when you see him come out, it's not like he's not filling her head with a hundred different things. He's direct. He's right to the point. He listens to her. She seems to be an, an intelligent person. They have a really good 
a really good rapport. Yeah, you know, so much of the coaching, you know, the, I don't know how much technical and tactical you're really going to be able to impart on these players. Yes, of course, some, but so much of it seems to be emotional, seems to be getting your player and kind of like this spiritual bond, like you talk about Vita. When when Djokovic and Vita are thriving, it's like they have a family. And, you know, I just don't, right, I just don't right. think that could have ever happened with Andre Agassi in there. No, no offense about Agassi, and maybe he'll come back and coach someone to great effect, but I just think the type of player that Novak is is that he needs that kind of Sparta family kind of vibe that he got from from Vita and and I think I think also another one that you didn't mention yet is uh, Sasha did a great job with Naomi Osaka. Yeah, Sasha, absolutely, yeah. She's a little bit of a fragile player. about family he seemed to like really he seems to care about her as a person Naomi and she's it seems to be a real their whole team they seem to be a tight team and uh you know I've seen him just talk about her and he just praises her so much and always gives her the credit and it's about her and I learned from her and I think that's really good that he's you know all the experiences he's had with Serena and Vika and Wozniacki and all that that he's learned you know, different personalities and different styles and don't put her in a box and let her be she's completely unique and really encourage that and he's done an incredible job with her yeah so you you if you had to put a vote in for coach of the year you'd go with vita i would go with vita and, and then sasha right up there and one guy mm-hmm. we didn't mention ramon sluter did a great job also Absolutely. and uh, yeah I, I to me you gotta go with vita i mean yep. this guy he's totally you know, rejuvenated it. So this guy was down and out. We were talking elbow surgery, you know, losing in Indian Wells, losing in Miami, just about as bleak as it gets. And for him to come in and completely turn it around, uh, and it's just, and he, you know, sometimes it's knowing what to say, when to say it, and what not to say. And he obviously knows him so well, he knew the right things to say. And, and that's really important. Yeah, and uh, we talk. Uh, we didn't talk about Wim Fissette. I think he came in at the perfect time where Angie Kerber was at a serious low, but you got to hand it to him. He helped her get back on top and win that third major title. And and I think if we look forward, this is one that's. Uh, I'm always. I've been. Can you tell I've been looking forward already to 2019? I think Yvonne Lendl has a has a tough job ahead of him with Alexander Zverev, but he could very much be looking at becoming the coach of the year if that breakthrough happens on that side. Yeah, absolutely, and that's the reason he brought him in was to get over the hump in majors and look at the U.S. Open. That was a tough loss to Cole Schreiber, but that was another match where he's in the match. It's a four-set match, and the other guy is just a little bit tougher, a little bit smarter, and a little bit calmer down the stretch, and those are things you really you want to win a major. you got to master that. I'm not saying he's bad at that, but he hasn't shown that he can do that in the later stages of, of, a, of a major, and, and that's exactly what Lendl's there. You know, anything short of a Grand Slam title, it's a failed partnership. Yeah. So it's a lot of pressure on both of them, but Lendl's got a proven track record as a player and a coach, and it's probably the best choice he could have made, I think. Yeah, for sure. I just I don't know what to make of Sasha Zverev after what we've seen this year. The, I, I found it to be a really frustrating season. I'm, in the end, I feel disappointment. I, I just I know he's very young. I know he's very talented. He's done so much at, in the Masters events, but I just I'm just not completely confident that he's gonna be what we thought he was going to be. This number one dominant player. There's a lot of young players right now that are kind of gunning for him in that in that second tier. I mean, obviously the big four is still running the show, but you know I, I have question marks. So next year's I think a huge year for Zverev. It is, and you, you know. 
know, you make a really good point because it's it's we're talking about a guy that could finish top five in the world again and to say it's a disappointing season, but that shows you the potential and the ceiling that this guy has. But just to sort of back up your point, I mean, if you if you compared him to team, I would say that team had a better year than him. I mean, and team you know, has shown even at the U.S. Open with the loss to Rafa that he's starting to figure out how to transfer it to the faster services and then what he did in Russia to win the title. He's starting to show signs that he's trying to make that transition from a guy who's really at his best at clay that he's able to transfer it to the other services. And like Zarev, they're both really, really hard workers. So it's going to be interesting to see how those two develop but like you said the guys beneath him like to me sits a pass is just as talented if not more so than either of those guys and that's saying a lot mm-hmm. yeah you got demonori you got hachinov you got rublev hey. you got you got a lot of players coming medvedev has come on oh, yeah. strong. i mean a lot of young guys coming on and look we don't know tiafo we don't know what his upside could be but that guy's he's a talented player yeah Korich has been on fire i mean Korich against the best players the guy's yeah. And then there's always the specter of Kyrgios. Is he ever going to care? Is he ever going to get committed? If he does, watch out. You know, he might. Maybe this whole thing is let me go into 2019 with zero expectations and zero ranking, and then it's all upside, and then he'll just erupt. But you never know with him. Yeah, I've, I found him. I love Nick Kyrgios. I, I love watching him. I'll never forget the Tokyo title he won, how well he played, how focused he was, and how he just dominated that event. I don't know if you remember that one. There's, uh, he's obviously yeah. sick. But yeah. I just uh, get frustrated by his the games he plays out on court. I mean, I know he wants to be this big personality, and he's hilarious at times, but it's just like... God, I, I just wish he could get into the game a little more and just like just put his attention on winning points, on putting together match solid matches and having solid efforts. And I just I worry sometimes that he's never going to do it. I know it's scary because to me, I think of the two guys who are really talented who I see just give up points just because mentally they're not. It's Kyrgios and Sock. I mean, and they're both really really talented players. But I see Sock. Return games where he gets, just gets down and he'll just like blast up like he's just almost. I'm not saying tanking, but he's just not into it, and you can't do that at that. Le- you just can't. You can't do it and get away with it. Yeah, I'd love to see it turn around for both those guys next year. I mean, yeah, because they're super exciting. They're two of the most, and they have personality. And when they're on, they're electrifying, both of them, and they both can do things with the ball that's very, very rare, you know. But it's just you got to do it. You know, the potential isn't enough. You got to do it. Yeah, both very young, might might we add, and and of course, right, absolutely. And look, at Sock's a Grand Slam champion in double. I mean, he's won majors and doubles this year, so it's not a total write off. Mm-hmm. But his singles has been abysmal. Cool. Yeah, and um, well, about time to cut it. But of course, I'll leave the floor to you for any final thoughts, Asian swing, looking ahead to WTA finals. Anything on your mind that you want to get out there? Well, to me, the WTA Finals, it's maybe one of the more wide open right now, especially assuming Simona doesn't play because Osaka's been the best player since September, but Wozniacki has the most at stake. And then you don't know the the players coming in fresh what they're going to get. So to me, it's totally wide open, totally unpredictable. And then on the men's side, it's going to be Novak Rafa coming down the stretch to see... Uh, who's the year-end number one, and then beyond that, setting yourself up for, for Australia. Mm-hmm. And any thoughts? Uh, actually, there's one more thing I want to ask you about. Oh, we didn't talk about Roger, but... You That's know, what I, I wanted mean, to ask you about. What do you, what do you think? I mean, yeah. great season, won a major, turned 37, still looking you know, great at times, but hasn't you know kind of tailed off here at the finish. Do you think he's uh, going to be able to p- possibly revitalize and be in the mix to win majors again next season? 
I think he will if the surface the surface has got to suit him. Like if Australia's fast again, I think he needs help from the surface. He needs quicker courts. You saw what happened in New York, where it's super humid, super hot, sweltering. The court's slower. It's just it's a slog. It's just hard. That's 37 years old. It's just hard. And when I was watching him at the Open, it reminded me of Jimmy Connors the year after his great run. I interviewed him. And he said, you know, it's a, the biggest myth is when people say you're over 35, you lose a step. He goes, you don't lose a step. Maybe you lose a half a step. But what you lose is the next match, the recovery. Your body just isn't as resilient. You just Some days you just don't recover, like when you were 22. Yeah. So if you look at Roger, he looks super fit, and he is super fit. But it's just the age, I think, just back to back. Just sometimes you just don't recover. You're not as fresh. Yeah. And look at even Shanghai. The Nishikori, Matt, he played great. I mean, he looked great against Nishikori. Then he comes out against Korch. He gets broken the first service game, both sets. He just looked flat. He just didn't have it, you know? Yeah. So I think that it's not, it's not his, it's not his skill hasn't eroded. It's just the resilience isn't there, I think, match to match, and then that's harder to do. The thing in Australia, if you get the roof closed a few days, things could go his way, but also he's defending, so it's more pressure as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I see it. I, yeah, I'm worried about Roger, and of course the biggest problem that Roger Federer has right now is Novak Djokovic being back and in form. That, gives, right. that makes right. it like two, two players yeah. that it can absolutely just, just uh, you know, kind of wreak havoc on his best laid plans to win more majors with Rafa and Novak both playing so well, but I think that you know he rolls the dice. He doesn't play a lot, but he always comes in with a chance because he, you know, if he if he rolls the dice and he finds his complete A game, I think it can be as good as anybody, and he still has a chance to do that. But you're right, the recovery is tough. He's got to get a nice draw. He's got to get a lot of straight set wins. He's got to build momentum. Um, but always, you know, always love seeing him, and I just hope we get at least two more seasons out of him. Oh yeah, I mean, and we, and we we're sitting here now like the guy. Who- we can't be shocked if the guy won Wimbledon next year. I mean, I definitely wouldn't be surprised. He could He's one of the top three favorites for sure, but you know, he doesn't match up well with Djokovic right now overall. And also, you know, you got to wonder, I would think he's going to quit skip Roland Garros again, although he hasn't said that. He hasn't made a decision, a final decision. But then it's tricky because he's got the strength for grass, but then also you don't have match play. You're, you know, looking about two months off middle of the season it's worked for him but it's just it's just tricky how he manages the schedule here on out but yeah i mean i wouldn't be shocked if he won a major at all no he's definitely like you said when he's on he can beat anybody and his serve when his serve is on you know the his service games are so quick he's not even expending i mean you see some of these major matches he's winning 90 minutes an hour and 45 minutes because his service games are like a minute long he's just plowing through people so yeah he's roger fetter you know he can he can always come back you can call him the swiss maestro if you want go ahead (laughs) (laughs) well i hope he skips paris next year because that means he's not going to retire and then he'll and then if he plays it in his um in 2020 that means it's probably his last season would be my guess how this this is going to play out but we'll see right and especially now with the news at the olympic they could give him a a waiver a wild card of course they better so, and you know that would be great for him to play another length uh, Olympics, and you know people love to see him there. All right, he's Richard Pagliaro, Tennis Now's editor. You can find him over at tennisnow.com. And that was very nice of you to chat with me for a little while, Richard. Let's uh, maybe touch base again after the WTA finals. We can wrap that up and look ahead to London. Yeah, we talk a lot more when there's no alcohol involved. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs>
It's a, it's yeah, a photo it's finish. Yeah, talking to you, and I really appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Thanks right. a lot. Thanks, Richard. That's a wrap for today's Lucky Lead Cord podcast. Special thanks to Richard Pagliaro. Always love chatting with him, and he'll be back in a couple weeks as we break down the WTA finals in Singapore and look ahead to the ATP finals in London less than a month to go until the season winds down on the ATP side. So we're looking forward to that. Don't forget, you guys, you can find us on our social media platforms on Twitter, at tennis underscore now, on Instagram, tennis underscore now, and on Facebook, facebook.com slash tennis now. And please keep those five-star ratings coming. And along with those reviews on iTunes, just Google the Lucky Let Cord podcast on iTunes. We appreciate it so much if you take the time to write up a nice review for this podcast. That's it for today's show. We will see you next time. I'm your host, Chris Otto, signing off.